Today we're going to touch on wealth, money, and possessions, and I've entitled this message, Zeal for Wealth, Overcoming Poverty. Zeal for Wealth, Overcoming Poverty. And this message touches on money matters. And that might um, turn some people off right from the title, but bear with me. It's probably not the message you might think it is. God spoke a lot about money and these topics in the Bible. There's over 2,300 references in the Bible to money and possessions, and it affects us all in so many various ways, right? Um, while I'm preaching on this topic of wealth this morning, I'm not promoting prosperity, prosperity teaching that has really infiltrated the pulpits today across uh, America and really around the world, which says God is good and he wants all his children to prosper in earth, uh, on, in health, wealth, and happiness on earth. But the Bible gives us really a warning uh, about wealth in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, which says people who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap uh, into many foolish and harmful desires and plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs and i would say many people have allowed wealth and their pursuit of it to get in the way of them serving and giving and and doing god's business and um secondly god has uh, promised that hasn't really promised wealth on earth to us, but that he will supply all our needs. That he will supply all our needs. And there's a difference there. Now, money in general, we need to know that money in general has no intrinsic value. It's only worth something because other people say it's worth something. For example, our money in this country is called fiat money, which is, means that the, the paper and the coins that, that we have is really made legal tender by the government of the United States and the backing of the backing up of it, right? And once it was backed up by gold, but now it's backed up by our good name, the United States of America. And these days we know that that name and position in the world is losing some of its popularity and value. And when people in society and other places and other countries no longer value the worth of it and recognize its value, it becomes worthless money. And that's why I believe in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 5, it says, In a blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like eagles. That's what ha can happen to our wealth. And how we think about money and wealth and possessions often affect how we behave. And what we can do and do with our wealth and resources is often linked to our spiritual condition, the spiritual condition of our heart. Now, Satan... The devil, he wants to mess you up. He wants to lure you into uh, deceptions of all types of wealth and resources. And so, so that you can misunderstand God. And so that you can misunderstand your calling uh, uh, that God has in your life. And too often money issues and money concerns have dictated our next steps in our life. We focus too much on, on money and money matters and, and or the lack of it. And when we focus on our limited resources and abilities we stop uh, seeing our situation through the lens of god right and god the way god sees us and he is the god of surplus who can supply all our needs amen church he's the god of, of surplus he's the god who owns a cattle on a thousand hills he's extremely rich do you know your father god is extremely rich in fact he's the god who owns everything psalms 50 says he owns all the animals, right? The entire world and everything in it, but we often think it belongs to us. So we hold on to it so tightly and, 
and hold back our love and, and these things from God. Our wealth, our gifts, our tithes, our offerings, and even our worship and our praise. We, hurl, we hold it back from God. We hold this back from him and and we hold it so tightly and we so we hold so tightly onto our families and our jobs and our wealth and our resources and in, in a sense what we're doing is we're taking back and we're holding back our wealth our praise our worship which belongs to the lord so in a sense we're stealing and robbing from god in the process and god wants us to seek him right seek him first and worship him with all that we are and all that we have right that's what he wants from us matthew 6 33 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these righteousness and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto him. And so what are the things that he was speaking about in that passage of scriptures, food and drinks, clothing, shelter, right? Uh, God knows what we need. He created us. He designed us. He made us, right? And so he knows what we need for us to thrive and survive on this planet Earth. He knows what's best for us. To live on earth in this time and this season and the season that we live in and yet his word tells us not to seek all those other things first seek him first seek him foremost not wealth and supplies but seek the lord with all that you are and all that you have rely on him and depend on him but often we become our worst enemy that's what happens we hold back our wealth our worship our praise we hold back what already belongs to him and he is worthy of all that praise. And we misunderstand what God wants from us. And today I bring you a story of the rich young ruler who came asking Jesus some questions. But after getting those answers, he left saddened because he wanted, more, uh, he wanted uh, his wealth more than he wanted Jesus. So let's stand and turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, beginning our reading from verse 16 through 22. Matthew chapter 19, beginning reading from verse 16. Now a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, just as a reference, the book of Mark says that he ran up to Jesus and he knelt before him, he bowed before him, he called him good teacher. And Luke refers to him as a ruler. And Matthew will also call him young man. And Jesus replies in verse 17, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one good. There's only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now, King James Version just says, Why do you call me good? And when we look at the book of Mark and Luke, it gives us some more insight into this passage by saying, No one is good but God alone. And so this rich young ruler responds by asking, Which commands should I follow. Which ones? The man inquired. Verse 18. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Underline that. Highlight that. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's pray. Father God, help us to use our wealth rightly in a godly way, oh God. Help us, oh Lord. Help us not to make excuses why we can't serve you, why we can't give, why we can't follow you, why we can't go into the mission field, why we can't evangelize. Help us, oh God, to stop making excuses why we can't follow you and worship you with our everything. 
and all that we have and all that we are? Why do we give you our, our, our least when you deserve our very best? Help us, O oh God, to understand what this rich young ruler is going through and help us un understand what we are constantly going through ourselves. And bless this word and everything that's said and done today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, verse 16 says, This man asked Jesus, What good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? And there are always those that are trying to work their way into the kingdom of God. What can I do? And there's a mindset even today, work harder, work smarter, work faster, work more hours, do these things that are noble, do these things that are good so that, so that we can enter into the kingdom of God. There's a mindset here that we work our way into the kingdom of God. We work our way into heaven. Just pray a little bit more. Let's pray fast a little bit longer. Say this prayer. Worship a little bit louder. Uh, give a little bit more to your church and God will bless you and you can enter into the kingdom of God. But this type of thinking is really wrong. It's not the right type of thinking and mindset. Uh, we all want to be blessed by God, right? I think we do. I think we want to be blessed by God or at least we should want that. But often our thinking is uh, manipulated or misguided and be careful of those who manipulate you to, to give more, or, or if you do this, you'll receive a greater blessing so that you can gain access to heaven, and God will uh, receive you quicker, or you'll have a, elevate you to a higher position uh, in this life and maybe the next, if you do this or that. So, some say, hey, you give $1,000 today, and, and I'll bless you. God will bless you with 10000 tomorrow, next week, or next year, right? Or you do this and that, and God is going to do this and that back for you. So in a way, you're trying to negotiate your, your, your gifts on earth and your wealth on earth, and, and then hopefully that will carry you into, into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. Uh, yet that is what man, this man is actually, in a sense, asking, what sh good thing shall I do to uh, inherit or have eternal life and the question reveals uh, his heart and his mindset it was focused on deeds and wealth and and works what he can do to inherit this and again this story is found in all three gospels matthew mark and luke and when you read this you learn when you put it all together you learn that he was a rich young ruler who wanted certain answers from god so what good thing shall i do or have to do to gain or have eternal life and and the answer is nothing their answer is nothing that you can do there's nothing that you can do to have eternal life you're not good enough you're not smart enough you're not rich enough right um, you're not wealthy enough you can't do anything you cannot work for it or earn it or bribe your way into it or trick your way into it into heaven and eternity with God it doesn't work that way and yet over and over again we we know people are doing these good works to earn rights and credits in heaven you simply receive jesus as your lord and savior uh, you you he it's a gift from god salvation is a free gift from god ephesians 2 verse 8 and 10 says for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith this is not for from yourself it is a gift from god not by works so that nobody can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So salvation is a gift from God first. You don't work for salvation. You work unto God after salvation because of 
your salvation, because you love God, because you honor God, because you're serving God, you now work and give and serve and do these things unto God. Now Jesus says, why call me good? Or, or why do you ask uh, about what is good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Now Jesus is saying, you want to know what good thing you can do? And, and, and you say, I am good. Do, do you really understand why, what, what you're saying, what you're asking of me? Scripture says, no one is good but God alone. And we were created good by God. In, in fact, Genesis 1 says we are created very good. And we're created in the image of God, but we have all sinned, and therefore we're not, we're, we're not good, right? Only, only God can meet that standard of, of, protect, of perfection now. And, and now when Jesus says, why do you call me good? He's really saying one of two things here. He's either saying that, hey, I'm really not good, right? I'm not God, so, so why are you calling me good? Or what he's actually saying is, don't you realize I am good because I am God? I am good. Because I am God. And why is he saying this? Is because I think he wants the man to think about the meaning of the words that he's saying and why he's coming to Jesus and what he's saying. Why do you call me master? Why do you, why do you call me good? Right? He wants the man to ponder and think about for a moment what he's actually saying. Why call me good? Do you realize that I am God? And I think Jesus wants us to pause and for us to think about that for a moment. And he wants us to challenge others in this process too. Is Jesus good? Is Jesus the master of your life or is he not? Is Jesus really God or not? So many people cannot answer this question. They don't understand this question or they, or they confuse it. Is Jesus God or not? And your answer doesn't determine the reality of it. But it does reveal your heart issue about God and up to, to God, actually, and to, to others. The, the answer is so important. Now, I believe Jesus is good and that Jesus is God and that he is king of kings and that he is Lord of lords. But you have to come to that same conclusion for yourself. Have you received him as Lord? Do you understand that Jesus is good and that Jesus is God? Do you really get that in your core? And I think many people answer that question, yes, with their mouth, but not but know in their heart and in their mind. Oh, as long as you are, are, are doing good, as long as God is doing uh, good and well in, on the earth, you know, he's good and he is God, right? But as soon as trouble comes your way, God is no longer good. God is no longer just. God, God is no longer sovereign and no longer in control. So intellectually, right, people are struggling with God and the con concept of, of God. And they have many questions until they can answer many of them or most of them or all of them. They don't really believe in him or, or, or have received him for themselves. Or, or they say yes with their mouth. Yes, I'm a Christian. Everyone seems to be a Christian these days. But, but watch their actions. Listen to their words. See what they actually do. Watch them closely. And you see they're half-baked people. And they, they are not really um, children of God. Or if they are, they're very childish in their behaviors and in their ways. And you wonder, have they ever really tasted and see that the Lord is good? Have they ever really received Jesus Christ in their core? Because their actions say something else. Their words might say this, but their actions and their abilities are so far off, off course. And there's something inside this man, right? There's something inside of him. 
And I believe really in, in all of us that God has programmed this into our being, into our essence, into our DNA to know that he is real, to know that he is God, to know that he is just. And so we start asking these questions to ourselves. It's not just our imagination. We're not just making this stuff up to, so that we feel better. We really start pondering, is there a God? Is he good? Is he just? And we think about that. And this is what's happening here. There is a divine revelation starting to, to emerge here with this man. Something was wrong. This man knew it. He knew something was missing inside his life. And, and Jesus was helping him navigate and to, to process this. And when you look at Matthew, Mark, and the book of Luke, you start to see a clearer picture that Jesus was revealing a truth about himself and about God to him. And God was not at the center of his life his wealth was. His wealth was. And by calling God good, he starts to begin and start recognizing, maybe this is God. By, by asking um, these other questions like, well, can you, what, what can you do that is good to inherit eternal life? He's still missing something. He, he's still going astray here. What can I do? What, what can I do? What, what works do I do so I can gain eternal life? And I think all of us ponder this from time to time or, or at least one time in our life. What must I do to be saved? I think as long as you're asking these questions, then you're starting to walk down the right, the right path. If you're dwelling on it a bit, you're, you're, you're okay. Meaning that you haven't sinned so long and so bad and, and fallen off so hard that God won't save you. But if you don't even care about the saying, if you don't even care about the reading of this, if it doesn't even make you pause and ponder what, what's happening and where you stand with God or not, then you, then you have a more serious problem and you are way deeper into your sin. Um, if you just left in that state, right, the state of not being moved by the Holy Spirit, not being moved by the Spirit of God, if the convicting voice and words of God are not convicting you and making you pause and wonder, then you are in a bad place, church. You are in a bad place because the convicting power of God needs to move you to worship, move you to praise, move you to open your mouth, move you to exalt the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you just sit there quietly all in like this, you're missing something greatly because he is worthy of all praise. And if you won't praise him, the rocks and the stones will. Scripture tells us that. So we must first recognize who Jesus is. He's good. He is God. He is the Savior of the world. He came in the flesh. He came to, to earth, born of a virgin. He walked the earth, right? God in flesh, the incarnation. He's not just any man. He's God. He's divine. And he's the only uh, God. He's, he's good. He's just. And he's God inside and out. Secondly, we repent for our sins and we ask him to forgive us. And and then we must receive him as Lord and Savior of, of our life. He won't force himself upon you. He won't make you be a Christian. You're not born a Christian. You receive the gift. You invite him into your heart. Now Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. And he starts to list several of these uh, commandments. Because if the man thinks that doing good works, he will gain salvation, then he'll have to obey these commands perfectly. Now think about this for a moment. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't mention the first few commandments, not yet, which is man's relationship with God. 
But, but what the Lord is saying here, you want to gain eternal life? You want to gain eternal life by doing good works? Is that, if that's why you think by doing good works, okay, try keeping the commandments and don't you dare violate one of them. Don't violate one of them because we know that's impossible to do this with man. And James chapter 2 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Now we were created by God good in God's image, but once man sinned in the garden, our DNA becomes uh, corrupted. And so uh, not only do we sin, but we're now born into sin. So we're born into sin and now we sin because we have corrupted, fallen uh, DNA and, and nature. And so if we want to be perfect, Okay, obey these commands perfectly. Don't you dare violate one point of them. And then, then maybe you can enter into the kingdom of God. But it's impossible for humans to do that and find salvation on their own. Like you're going to dig a ditch and just find it on your own. Say, I got it. Yay, I got it. I did this on my own through hard work. So this desire and goal is actually impossible to achieve without Christ. And at this point, uh, Jesus is only dealing with man's relationship with man. Don't you murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't you steal. Don't bear four witnesses. Honor father and uh, mother. Basically, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this man seems to be righteous by his response. I kept all these things. I did all these things well. I think he's being a typical man here, looking for good works and uh, to be the answer to the question, how do, I, how do I gain eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? Go to work. Work hard. He knew how to do good work, right? He was rich. He was a ruler. So he thought that he can accomplish uh, the end result with his hard work, whatever that is. Lord, just tell me what kind of work I need to do and I will achieve it. Because I'm a go-getter, because I'm an entrepreneur, because I'm a businessman, because I am a young ruler with a lot of energy. I can do it myself. Just tell me the three steps I should do or the five steps I should do so I can inherit it. Verse 20, I kept all these since my youth. What do I lack? What do I lack? In fact, this man didn't lack much. He was a rich young ruler. He probably had his strength, his good looks, right? Uh, he was an overseer of probably of many things and people. And he was feeling very good about himself probably around this time. Like, well, I've kept all these things. What do I lack? But he did know he was lacking something. There was something he was lacking. And he wanted what Jesus had but didn't want Jesus himself. It's a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You miss Jesus, the person, and you miss it. Jesus only mentions here part of the commands dealing with man's relationship with people. And, and he's saying you need to obey these and you need to fully obey them, never ever going astray on any of these points of these commands. And being a decent person and doing good work and, and, and trying to help people out in society, hey, listen, that's a great start, a great start. But if you just violate any one of these points, just a little bit, you violate them all. And this young man is... Uh, is in for a rude awakening. He's in for a surprise uh, because he failed at least one of these points already. He was holding on to his earthly treasure instead of holding on to his heavenly treasure. He was putting forth his wealth before God and holding on to his money and possessions before anything else. And Jesus knew his heart. And the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? But we know the answer. God knows it. God knows our heart. Without Jesus, salvation is impossible. Entering the kingdom of God, impossible. 
And when we realize we're going down the wrong road and heading in the wrong direction, stop, repent, ask God to forgive you, right? And then turn away from your sin. There's a process here that we, that we need to do. There is a process here, but it's all wrapped around the Lord, coming to the Lord, repenting to him, right? Asking him to forgive us and save us and then turn from it and turn to God. Jesus says in verse 21, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Now, some people want to make this a universal principle. Listen, I did finances for a very long time, faith, family, finances. This is not a universal principle. Go sell everything, church, and lay it at the apostles' feet. This is not a universal principle. Give it all away. Sell everything you have. Give it to the church. Or give it to another family member or find 10 families that are poor and just give it all away. That's nonsense and that's foolish talk. That's not what scripture is telling you to do. This is not a universal principle for all people to follow. But it was a cross to bear for this young ruler because he placed his wealth above God. He made idols out of his wealth, his treasures, and he held them at a higher esteem than he was holding Jesus himself. Now, Jesus loved this man, right? He had compassion on this man, even though he was a misguided ruler. His good deeds could never gain access into the kingdom of God. And even this man knew that he was lacking something. And so he said, what do I lack? What do I lack? What do I still lack? There was something inside of him that he knew that he was lacking. Or maybe there were many things that he was lacking, but he knew he lacked at least one thing. You know, I feel like I'm off track. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what I'm not doing, right? I, I'm sure other people have felt that way. I just know that, that I, I, I lack something and, and I haven't arrived yet. And so there's got to be more to life. But if I can get that one answer, then everything will be all right in this world and in the next to come. Many of us feel that way or felt that way before. I believe we never fully arrive on earth. And when you fully arrive... You go into the next realm. When your job and work is over and you're sitting there fat, lazy, and complacent, it's over. There's no reason for you to be here anymore because you were here for a purpose. To put God, God purpose forth. Right? Amen? Amen? Do you believe that, church? I believe that. And I believe if you're just hanging around, then, you, then he's, trying to find, he, he's trying to reach out to you and you haven't found him yet. Because we all have a work to do. But one thing's for sure. Without Christ, you never arrive fully on earth. That's for sure. Without Christ, you will be eternally banned from God in his presence. Without Christ, your future is bleak and hopeless and lacking. And you will never enter his rest. You will never enter the promised land. There will always be a dissatisfaction and a lacking in your life, you will always be searching and looking. No amount of wealth and riches or treasures will fully satisfy you. If so, the richest people on earth would be the happiest people on earth. And we know through experience and observation that is not true. Just watch the level of drug abuse and suicide and divorce. We know it's not true. They lack because they lack Christ. They lack because they lack the Holy Spirit guiding them. They lack because... They're impoverished because the Lord is not Lord of their life. And they're not, they, they have not given their life over to Him. And again, I'm speaking spiritually now. Remember, poverty is also not a trophy to wear. Some people wear that poverty like it's a, it's a trophy. Oh, look at me, I'm impoverished. 
whoosh, whoosh. And they start whipping themselves and abusing themselves and cutting themselves and hurting themselves. I'm impoverished. Great. Don't rejoice because you're impoverished. Don't rejoice because you're enslaved. Don't rejoice because you're going through hard times and tragic times. We rejoice in the Lord always. And we rejoice in the Lord in spite of what we're going through, in spite of where we find ourselves, in spite of this. Wherever we find ourselves, we should be found faithful. We should be found good stewards. We should be found with worship on our lips and in our hearts and praising God Almighty. Our worship, our wealth, our praise needs to be laid at His feet and say, it's all yours. Help me to do what's right with it. Hallelujah. Now the rich might have all their physical needs met on earth right now. They might have great wealth and resources, but there's a great void in their heart. There's a great void in their heart. They're searching uh, for, these, for this, their entire life and can't find it. They can't answer it because they have not received Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 25 through 26. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole entire world yet forfeits his soul? Or what, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And again, the answer is nothing. Nothing, nothing. And there's so many of us ask the same question as this rich young ruler. What do I lack? What must I do to be saved? And if you never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then start there. Because you lack the most important thing in your life that you'll ever know. Without Christ, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Without Christ, you will not have eternal life. Without Christ, you will never be fully satisfied. Without Christ, there will always be some void, something lacking deep inside you, something that is missing from your life. Without Christ, you are truly impoverished person. Now, one day for those of us in, in, in Christ Jesus, born-again believers, I believe we'll lack nothing. I, I believe that. I believe that's what God's word says. One day we're all going to die. One day the rapture is going to take place. But in either case, whether we live or we're raptured and snatched away, we'll spend eternity for those who are saints of God in, in heaven with other saints of God. What a glorious day that's going to be when we see King Jesus face to face. What We have a hope in Christ Jesus, right? And that we will be with him for eternity and that all of his promises are yea and amen and all of his promises are going to be, are going to be fulfilled exactly the way he says it. Every one of them are going to come to pass and I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that great party in heaven. I want to be with him forever for all eternity and I hope you do too. Now the problem is the rich rule of faith is similar to what many of us face today. We hold on to our wealth and comfort above holding on to the things of God. And we're often not willing to give up our comfort or our money or our wealth to put forth on, 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 on earth on purpose. We're not even willing to, to praise and worship with all our being. These other religions and other faiths, man, they, they, they bow down, they cry out loud, they lay it all out. But so many Christians are just like, I surrender. No, you really don't. I don't want to make fun of anyone. I really don't. I, I mean, I guess I just did, right, Bruce? I don't know. But I really don't. I, I just want to get the point across. There's the, look at the other religions. They wear their garments. They, they, they pray three, four times a day on their knees. Everyone sees it. We're like secret agents. And then when we come together, sometimes we're still like secret agents. 
Worship the Lord with everything you are and everything you are. Lay it all at the king's feet. Lay it all bare. And let's encourage one another as long as it's called today with all that we have. So many people are making wealth their idols. Our money, our wealth become our idols. Making money becomes our idols. If it's not our money, it's our career. It's our job. It's our family. It's our children. And get this, it could even be your ministry. That you made your ministry your idol. It could be your schedule. You schedule God right out. We place so many things above and beyond God. Now we, we don't know how the story ends for this young man. We know he left saddened, but that doesn't mean that's how the story ends. And so I want to encourage you that some people might reject your, the faith that you have. That doesn't mean how the story ends. Keep praying, keep pushing, keep evangelizing, keep praying, keep fasting, keep lifting them up. We don't know that two minutes later or two days later or two years later this man came to God. And laid it all bare again. But at that moment, he left barren. He left impoverished, right? Because he didn't make the right decision at that moment. But don't give up on your family and friends. Keep praying it through. Keep believing that God will, will save them. And that their hearts and minds will be open. Remember, the Lord wasn't literally telling him to sell everything. Because poverty or the lacking of funds and wealth is not necessarily better than not having money. This wasn't the real issue and the concern. The real issue and concern was that he had a heart and soul issue. That was the concern. Our zeal for wealth and success often gets in the way from us uh, turning to God and trusting God and doing God's will and work. And we can miss God while we're pursuing our wealth and success in life. And we can make idols out of it, out of our success and money and career. Anything we place over God becomes our idol. We make it those things above God, then we make it our idol. Jesus was telling him to place God first in everything, above everything, above people, above job, above, above wealth. And even if you try to do good things, I will say do it. That's good. Do, you should do good. It's don't, I, isn't doing good better than doing bad? Yes, yeah, do good. Right? But it's not always what, um, getting rid of your wealth is not always the answer. And God is not always telling us to get rid of all of our wealth. Now, the early church, we know, got themselves in trouble uh, when they did this. They grew fast, right? Uh, the people, people sold their homes and they believed God was coming imminently, immediately, right away. So they spent a lot of money. They sold their homes. They sold their property. Sold, and they laid it all at the apostles' feet. And while God wants us to be generous people, I believe that. He wants us to be grace givers and kingdom builders and give sacrificially and give cheerfully. I believe all that. He was not asking all of us to do that. He's not asking every one of us to just walk around impoverished, just wearing a, a royal robe and eating a bowl of rice and owning nothing. Right? He might ask you to do that. We know a lot of the monks do that. God might ask you to do that. But that's not a universal principle. And that's not the best principle. He was re revealing to this man his idol. That he was holding back from God. And again, the deeper meaning of all this is put God first in everything. Put God first in your life and everything. Don't be so tied to your money and your wealth that you miss God's calling. That you miss what God wants you to do today. What he's asking you to do this week or this year. 
God wants us to totally rely on Him. Trust Him. First and foremost in everything that we do. Now the Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And, and leaving a godly, uh, and doing that, leaving a godly inheritance is, is leaving godly wisdom and wealth to them. It's important to understand that um, if there is no money and wealth and there's nothing extra left at the end of the month, then how do you help other people? How can you be generous givers? What do you have to give if your cubbies are always empty because purposefully bad planning? We, we all face hardships. That's not what I'm talking about. But purposefully bad, bad, bad planning. I, I'll worry about that tomorrow. I'll worry about a little sleep, a little, a little slumber. The rich can do great things with their wealth. Come on, let's just be honest about that. With their wealth and their resources. Wealth is not intrinsically bad. Wealth is not the problem. Now, many of the Bible patriarchs were very wealthy. What do you do with your money and your wealth and your possessions reveal your heart and the use of it, whether it's being used for good or for evil? The problem is that many uh, wealthy people are not using it for God's glory or for God's honor or for the good of others. Many have not turned their life over to Christ. And, and so they're rich, by, right? By, they're rich by world standards, but by heaven's standards, they're impoverished. They're bankrupt. They're impoverished. And we know that materialism is running rampant in this country and other places around the world. We know there's a bigger gap between the rich and the poor, right? It's getting wider. We see that middle America is being crushed in this country while the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now, now you're not rich because God loves you more. But get this, you're not poor because God loves you less. And wherever you find yourself in life, there's reasons why you're there in life. Embrace it, ask for wisdom and, and knowledge and discernment and work your way from there. But there's one thing that's certain is that God wants us all to be his children. He wants us all to be his children, the rich and the poor, the wise and not so wise. He gave his life that whoever believes in him shall be saved regardless of your background, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of any of that. He wants a forever relationship with each and every one of us. We need to understand that because he loves us. Our Father God, our Abba Father, our Daddy God is rich. And He wants to bless us with so many blessings, right? And it goes beyond physical wealth and it comes in so many different forms. Some of His children are blessed with more resources than others. Some of it's because of their faith. Some of it is because of wise decisions. Some of it is because of sacrifice and discipline with money and Resources. Some of it's because they were maybe more responsible. Some of it is because maybe they were born into a rich family or they got a head start in life in dealing with wealth. But it's never because they are, they are more special to God than you. It's never because of that. It's never because God loves you less. We all have different crosses to bear. You need to understand that we all have different crosses, different trials, different needs, right? Different abilities, different things that hose us up and stop us from fulfilling our promises and call in life and reaching our destiny or fulfilling our calling. And God will give out wealth as he desires and, and gifts according to as he sees fit. And then as we're found faithful with what we already have and doing what, what we already have, I believe he blesses us with more. And as we follow godly principles, these things will in it, by themselves become a blessing. We'll have more opportunities and we'll have more gifts. And the rich young ruler was uh, invited to, to forsake his wealth and follow Jesus. But he concluded that his wealth 
was more important. So he left saddened. How many people listening or here have concluded with their mouth, Jesus is king, but in their heart they concluded, what I'm doing is more important than serving God. Jesus is really inviting all of us, forsake it all, follow me. Forsake it all and follow me. He was saying, come follow me, become my disciple. Follow me. Die to self, live for me. Wherever you are, rich or poor, follow me and you will be blessed. You will eventually receive riches beyond your imagination, beyond measure. Now, this is not a prosperity teaching either. You need to understand that. I believe if you never, ever get one more thing or benefit from God, but he just saves you, just saves you, if that, that's it, that is the most important thing, then, then he's worth following, he's worth obeying, he's worth serving until the very end. Oh, at best, I got maybe 50 more years left on this planet. I'm, I'm 56 years old, so hey, God, give me 50 more strong years. You know, Joshua's strength, I hope, right? Uh, but Jesus is now starting to deal with the first part of the Ten Commandments. This part deals with man's relationship with God. And I mentioned them last, in the last uh, message that I did uh, called Zeal for People Overcoming Peer Pressure. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow to them or worship them for I, the Lord, God, right, the Lord, your God, am a, is a, as a, am a jealous God. You shall not miss... Use the name of the Lord either. How many people just, oh my God, oh my God. And they're like babbling babies that don't even, don't even know that they're addressing God anymore. We've got to be careful how often we're using God's name in vain in so many ways. Anyway, you cannot have eternal life apart from God. Cannot happen. We must learn to love God first and put him first and foremost. Get that right and everything starts to line up and fall in its place. And the Lord will point out things to you. And bring your attention to certain things to stop you from going left and going. And he wants you to go right. And he wants you to follow him. For the rich young ruler, it was money. It was his possessions. It was his wealth. This was his God. What's your God? What's your God? What's hosing you up? These are important questions for us to ponder over and over again. What's your God? What's stopping you from being his disciple? What's stopping you from, what's hindering you from being an all-in type person? What relationship is getting in the way? In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, you can't serve God and mammon or God and money or God and wealth. You can't have two masters. Pick one. Which one will you choose today? Too many people have chosen idols and wealth and career and success. They have so much wealth. They have so many distractions, our jobs, our schools, our children. The list goes on and on. And you can hear these messages week after week after week and never be moved. Never bow a knee. Never cry at these altars. Never have a heart change and follow Christ with all your life. I want to encourage you today that once you examine your own heart in this matter, maybe you know some people today. Maybe you know a place or two where they're hanging out, where they're idols right in front of them, maybe your spouse, maybe your children, maybe people in the church, maybe people at work, they're doing these things. I challenge you today to, to give them this message when it comes out. Forward it to them. Share it, share it with them. Share it on Facebook, YouTube, and other social media. 
But then ask them to listen to it and then follow up with them. Use this as a springboard to ask them questions. It's time for our family and friends to start taking God's words seriously. It's, it's time for saints of God to challenge others in these different areas in the process. Maybe you're doing it already. Hey, I applaud you if you're doing it. But I think that time is short and we need to step up our game. I really do. And the disciples ask, who can be saved? Right? Who can be saved? Again, with, with man, it's impossible. But who can be saved? And the truth be told, many of us, according to today's standards, are so rich. We're so rich according to the world standards. Right? We're, we're living during a time where we have so much church. And while some of us might not feel rich, many of us are in America, according to the world standards, we're, we're very rich. And, and we must take this warning from Jesus very seriously that he says in Matthew 19. Beginning at verse 23, then Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle of a rich man than, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Now, some people have this idea that believe that this eye of the needle was the small opening uh, that required a camel maybe to get on its knees and uh, crawl through uh, this doorway. These travelers would remove all the uh, uh, belongings and burdens on top of this camel, and then he would, they would take time to push and shove and try to push him through this opening or this little subgate under the, the gate or, or uh, into the church. And I don't believe this is what Jesus was referring to. Uh, this would suggest that hard work and working together and the pushing and the shoving and kind of getting rid of some stuff is enough to get into God's kingdom. Maybe he was being sarcastic here or giving us some picture of what seemed to be impossible, like squeezing this large uh, animal through the small little hole that just looks impossible. But I think maybe it was just more like a needle and thread. There's no way a human is going through a needle and thread. It's impossible with human effort. So, so don't you strain. Don't, don't you uh, try to cause yourself pain or try to struggle or, or grunt and groan and enter into God's kingdom this way. It's impossible for a man to do this on his own. But everything is possible, God's saying, with him. We are to be rich in love, in hope, in faith. We receive this free gift by God in Jesus Christ. Christ in his name and in a moment you'll have this opportunity to receive him um, and we'll go into a time of communion but let me just say this first zeal for wealth to have it to make it to consume it causes many people to be dissatisfied in life maybe maybe they're satisfied with it maybe they are satisfied with it but what happens is they become satisfied with it at best instead of being satisfied with God and leaving them to be spiritually impoverished riches can often take our eyes off christ because we don't need them we don't need him we become self-reliant seeking our own success our own ways our own methods man i worked for it i worked hard for it everything i have is because i did it he will snuff you out in a second if he wants to be careful of what you say the Lord wants to direct us and help us and have us depend on us. Now, many have this idea that wealth is a sign of God's blessing and favor on earth. I've already said that's not true, though many people feel that way. And the disciples knew 
that they had many uh, leaders in the past that were rich and wealthy. Look at Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. They were very wealthy people. And then they had kings like David and Solomon that were rich beyond measure. So I think they, they wanted that. I think they believed that that was for them, the riches on earth, the influence, and had become leaders in the government. And then Peter says in verse 27, we left everything to follow you. Uh, what then will there be for us? In other words, we gave up everything. We expect something in return, right? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the renewal of all things, when the Son of God, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left their houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are, are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Listen up. We might lack on earth, but we're not going to lack in heaven. Did I say that again? We might lack on earth, but we are not going to lack in heaven. There will be rewards for those that are faithful in heaven. Jesus tells them there's going to be special honor for you. You have followed me. Will also these 12 will sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is probably going to take place during the millennial reign of Christ, which uh, follows the great tribulation. God is not done with Israel. God is not done with his church yet. The millennial reign of, of Christ is real, will happen. Jesus is going to set up his earth, set up his throne and his kingdom on earth. It will happen, and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. So Israel is not done, and our churches are not done, and God is not done with us. And the apostles also helped to launch the church and will be part of the new Jerusalem. And Revelation 21, verse 14 says, The wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And there will be various crowns, right, that we receive in heaven. Saints of God, there will be crowns for us. Some will be the imperishable crown, the crown of rejoicing and the crown of righteousness, the crown of, of glory and of life. And those crowns have nothing to do with your wealth or your poverty on earth, but everything to do with what you do after salvation, putting forth God's work and business on this planet. You will be blessed and you will receive blessings. I believe on this earth and in heaven. But am I really working for these crowns or some reward from God in this world or the next? For me, I want a forever relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to serve him in this life and the life to come. I want to love him with all my heart and soul. And I know that he loves me fully. I want to follow him because um, after looking at this world and going through all, these, all the drama and all the stuff and looking at all the various choices, the world's method makes no sense to me. But God's method makes the most sense to me. So I want to walk and work in the center of God's will until I die. Regardless if it's secular work, regardless if it's sacred work, work unto God. Do your work unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we follow him, we will be blessed. A byproduct of following him and obeying him and trusting him are blessings. That is the universal promise. That is the universal promise. Follow Christ, you will be blessed. You are blessed to be a blessing. Don't hoard your money. Don't hoard these things. When we follow God, we will be blessed. I believe that. God's economy is not the same. He tells us that things are going to be different. I believe those 
Those moms that raise their children and dads in a godly fashion are going to be blessed. Moms and dads who work every day, serving them, going to work, doing these things, God is going to give them a great reward. And even if we're not rewarded great on earth, we will be rewarded greatly in heaven for our faithfulness. Those, those people that are praying and working behind the scenes, they'll be blessed. They'll be blessed. He was to leave his country, his people, his father's household. Genesis 12 tells us that Abraham had to leave and go to this land far away. And I want to encourage you today that when we do these things, when we're directed by God to do something, do it. Wherever it goes, wherever it leads you, do it. Go do it. Go make disciples. Go be generous people. Go love people. Go to do the things he called you to do. When you would trust and obey his words and his wisdom, I believe you will be blessed. Genesis 12 says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. And I believe this is not just for a particular, peculiar people or group, but for all of us who have placed our life in his hands, in Jesus Christ's hands. We are the church. We have to continue to put forth his work. Don't hoard your wealth. Use it. Invest it for his kingdom. Do it wisely. Be a blessing to your family and your church and to others. Right? Most importantly, place God first above everything else in your life. Above everything else and you will be blessed. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and you will be blessed. You will be blessed. I believe in this world and the world to come. There's nothing like living in the center of God's will. Nothing like it. Nothing more exciting. Nothing more thrilling. Life will be so boring otherwise. But when you're working for Him, it's going to be thrilling and enjoying. Whether it's sacred or secular work, it doesn't matter. As long as it's dedicated and consecrated unto God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a few moments and no one looking around. And those, if you're driving, keep your eyes open. If you don't know Jesus, you can know Him today. And before we segue into communion, if you don't know Jesus, receive Jesus today. Can repent for your sins. Ask Him to forgive you. Speak to Him from your heart. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just invite Him into your heart. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe in you. I trust you. Forgive me of my sins. Help me, guide me, lead me take over my life and he will do that today amen I believe that the Bible gives a clear warning that those who eat this bread or drink this cup in an unworthy fashion subjects themselves to heartache and hardship and that's why some die so now we're, we're switching to a part of the service that's really only for believers. Unless you just receive Jesus, then you immediately are, are, are a saint of God as well. But this part of the service is for a believer. If you're not a believer, we just ask you not to receive communion today, whether you're taking it at home or in our service. This is for those who claim to be a Christ follower. And so, saints of God, examine your heart. Repent for your sins. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us. If you know of sin that you're doing, 
confess it to God right now. Examine your heart, self-examination. This bread is symbolic. The body that was bruised, I want to bless it. And I'll read a scripture verse and then we'll eat together. Symbolic of the body that was bruised. Father God, we just thank you for, the, for your body that was put on the cross for us, oh God. By your stripes we are healed. It's through the cross that we find salvation. You've done so much for us already, oh God. Bless this bread. And when he was giving thanks for it, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's break this bread and, and take it together as a family. Jesus then took this cup, which is symbolic of his blood. Right? The blood that was stained on the cross and the floor. He was beat so badly. His back was torn apart. His face was unrecognizable. Horrendous. Terrible. But he shed his blood for us. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. There's healing in the, in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this cup, this blood, symbolic of your blood, oh God, this juice. I pray, Lord Jesus, that healing will start flowing even now. Heal your saints, God. Heal those that are watching at home. Lord, start, let your healing power start flowing, oh God. Maybe you want to touch where you're sick. Maybe you want to touch where you're hurting. Start, start believing that God is healing you and touching you in Jesus' name. Bless this cup in Jesus' name. And Jesus said, this do as often as you drink in remembrance of me, for as often you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's drink together. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, church? Let's give God a praise offering, and let's just worship him in this in this last few moments that we have together. Hallelujah. Bless your name, O oh God. Maker of heaven, you stepped into time to render salvation you gave your life for of all glory surrender your throne to rescue the sinner and make this heart your
second and you first oh god bless bless your 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 people oh god give them favor god give them wisdom and direction of their next steps be with them i pray in jesus name amen be blessed church greet someone and be blessed